intermediate plateau? What causes it and how can we move beyond it? I remember having a conversation with my friend Ale Linye about learning Chinese. I'd already spent a couple of years studying and while I could converse and read some books, I still struggled in more complicated situations. My progress had slowed and I was in an awkward phase where I sometimes felt confident and other times not. Yeah, well, that's what it's like from now on, was Ollie's half-joking reply. The intermediate plateau contrasts sharply with the beginning phases of language learning. While those early efforts are often marked by intense difficulties, they're also a period of incredible progress. In a narrow window of time, you can go from being totally incompetent to being able to do quite a bit, provided you put in the effort. In contrast, intermediacy is frustrating. You don't feel good enough to claim that the work of learning is now over, but you see diminishing returns for additional study and practice. The intermediate plateau shows up in almost every field. As a writer for over half my life, I still wish I were better at it. And it's hard to tell whether my efforts are paying off in terms of better prose. Programmers, managers, architects, and doctors all have to deal with the difficulty of neither being a beginner nor being the best. Three theories for why we get stuck. I'd like to review three explanations for what causes the intermediate plateau, each having some relevance depending on the skill. Those are, one, knowledge grows exponentially with the level of expertise. Two, progress comes to rely more on unlearning than new learning. And three, creative problem solving overtakes and is harder than imitating others. The exponential explosion of knowledge. One explanation for the intermediate plateau is that skill building is based on knowledge, and knowledge grows exponentially as you progress in a discipline. Consider a highly simplified model of language learning, where the only thing that matters is the words that you have in your vocabulary. According to Zipf's law, usage frequency of a word is roughly proportional to the inverse of its rank in an ordered list of usage frequency. So the most frequently used word in English is the, which occurs around 7% of the time, or once every 14 words. The second most frequent word is of, which occurs roughly 3.5% of the time, or about once every 29 words. By this formula, the 10,000th most common word would occur roughly 7% times 1 over 10,000, or 0.0007% of the time, or roughly once every 143,000 words. Incidentally, that word, according to Wiktionary, is calves. Each newly learned word takes roughly the same amount of mental effort to learn, but the frequency drop-off means that each word contributes less and less to your proficiency. In fact, the situation is even worse than this. Knowledge isn't acquired once and then remembered forever. We often require multiple exposures to learn a word, and spaced exposures to sustain it in memory. Because rarer words are used less frequently, they take far longer to become permanent parts of our linguistic repertoire. So given the exponential decline in recall based on the time between exposures of a word and the intermediate plateau may be the point where forgetting is roughly equal to new learning. At this level, we forget infrequently used words as quickly as we learn them and improvement stops entirely. Unlearning and local maxima. The knowledge explosion account of the intermediate plateau assumes that learning is monotonic. That is, learning is strictly additive. Each new word you learn only makes you more proficient, never less. However, a lot of learning isn't like this. A person who is learning to type by hunting and pecking on a keyboard further entrenches that method every time they use it. 
It won't spontaneously evolve into touch typing regardless of how they practice. Similarly, pronunciation often fossilizes in language learning, likely because the good enough articulation of a language's phonemes becomes ingrained through repetitive practice until it is automatic. This makes you more fluent, but it also means shaking off a bad accent is even harder than learning new words. In this account of the intermediate plateau, our lack of progress is due to getting ever more proficient in mediocre methods. Progress requires interrupting this natural process, fine-tuning our performance, and then rebuilding automaticity on the new parts. The copying-creating barrier. A third reason we get stuck in our progress is that humans are excellent imitators and only lackluster problem solvers. Some crows, for instance, can figure out how to extract food from a bottle by improvising a metal hook. But when they studied fifth graders, only 10% could do the same. Anthropologist Joseph Heinrich argues that our capacity to imitate, if one person solves a problem, then everyone else can copy the solution, is what truly separates us from other species, not our innate problem-solving ability. Our ability to stand on the shoulders of countless generations that have come before us is what enables us to make progress. Unfortunately, this means there's a sharp distinction between mastering an old trick and inventing a new one. Learning from others is fast, but it's limited to situations that are either routine or allow the easy application of an old principle. Totally new circumstances, in contrast, require an extensive problem-solving search in order to make progress. The intermediate plateau by this account can be a switch from learning from others to learning by trial and error, with the latter being a lot slower and more painstaking. How can you move beyond intermediacy? Each of the three theories suggests a different potential escape route. One, exponential knowledge requires exponential effort. Two, unlearning requires deliberate practice. And three, expert mentorship nurtures creativity. Exponential effort for exponentially growing knowledge. The unfortunate fact of mastering a language is that after gaining basic fluency, further learning requires a disproportionate step up in effort. The only way to overcome the dwindling usefulness of new vocabulary and the regular atrophy of forgetting is to just spend more time practicing. That said, I do suspect there are more efficient ways to do this than simply using the language a lot. Wordsmiths in a non-native language tend to love collecting new words for their vocabulary. I suspect the desire to look up words in the dictionary that memorize their meanings is a trait that leads to better performance than someone who just acquires vocabulary when they have to. Similarly, reading more advanced literature or attending challenging classes can push one to the frontier of seldomly used words and will increase the usage frequency of these specialized words. Unfortunately, this also increases the difficulty since comprehensibility usually goes down as you delve deeper into new vocabulary. So ultimately, it's probably a mixture of comprehensible input, which ensures that fluency and low effort practice are possible, and more challenging reading and conversations with easy access to definitions and explanations that will allow you to pick up the new words at an appropriate rate. Unlearning requires deliberate practice. Unlearning to progress in skill development was a theory favored by Anders Ericsson. Building on Fitz and Posner's influential three-stage model of skill development, he argued that automaticity was a major barrier to improvement. Fitz and Posner's model of skill acquisition has three stages. First, the cognitive phase, when you learn the basics of a skill and understand how it works. This is when you're listening to instructions and trying to apply them very deliberately. 
Second, the associative phase. So this is when you begin practicing and you start combining the skill into larger chunks. And here is also where you weed out significant mistakes. And finally, the autonomous phase. So after your gross errors decline, you perform the skill with less and less conscious effort and it becomes increasingly fluent. The deliberate part of deliberate practice refers both to the need to practice in sessions outside of work and play, and also to the mental effort needed to bring the skill out of the autonomous phase and back into the cognitive or associative state where deliberate effort can be applied. Essentially, we're not trying to add to our knowledge so much as weed out inefficiencies from our well-learned routines. Creativity is enhanced by expert mentorship. In problem solving, we can get further if we see better ways of doing things. Sometimes we get stuck on the intermediate plateau because we've learned everything we can from those around us, and now improvement depends on our own inventiveness. The people who succeed are often those who can find better mentors and therefore can continue the relatively efficient path of learning from others. Support for the importance of expert mentorship can be seen in the history of scientific accomplishments. Sociologist Harriet Zuckerman analyzed the path of American Nobel laureates, and she found that a significant proportion of those who had won a Nobel Prize were also mentored by someone who had also won it. Interestingly, most began the apprenticeship process before their mentor won the prize, so the role of mentorship seems to be much more than just institutional prestige. Mentorship needn't be an official relationship. Even having a knowledgeable peer network can help a lot. The more you can learn from others, rather than trying to invent it on your own, the faster you will make progress. Those who are isolated from the help of other people will hit the problem-solving barrier earlier, and thus their progress will slow. Is mastery even worth it? Whether it's extensive and time-consuming knowledge acquisition, effortful deliberate practice, or seeking access to elite guidance, mastery doesn't come easily. In some cases, it's worth wondering whether it's even necessary. Now, despite my focus on learning, I'm firmly in the intermediate camp for all of the skills I've spent time on. Intermediacy is nothing to be ashamed of. For many skills, there's a lot you can get by with being good enough rather than being world-class. Still, if going beyond your current level is necessary, it's helpful to think in terms of what's required to get the job done. Thanks for listening to this episode. More episodes like this can be found by searching for Scott Young Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and on most other podcasting apps available on your smartphone. If you've enjoyed this episode, please consider rating my show as it helps other people find out about it. More of my work can be found on my website at scotthyoung.com.